Join Ian Garvey as we uncover the hidden marketing stories that shape our world. Reveal the latest marketing tactics that will shape the future and the amazing people that grow organizations, movements, and businesses. Learn to grow your business and shape the world around you. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show with Ian Garlic. And yes, it's Ian, not Ian. That's marketing too. All right, folks, on this Garlic Marketing Show, we're going to talk what it takes to become a tech founder, how to take your idea from nothing to something to selling it. And I've got Jared Yellen. Jared, thanks for being on the show. I'm excited to be here, man. What an honor. Love what you're doing. And uh, listen, ask me anything. I'm an open book. I want to serve your group. All right. And we're going to talk about how he hates Mark Zuckerberg, the idea to MVP process, how he creates a, a pre-exit parking, uh, his show, What's on Your Nap Napkin, and how he's actually founded 140 businesses in the past, 140 tech companies in the past 12 months. Uh, but don't forget, this is brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. One of the best ways to grow your business, whether it's a tech company or any company, is through your customer stories. Go to VideoCaseStory.com so we can help you collect, craft, and deliver those customer stories. All right, let's get started. But before we get into that and how to do that and how to even think about taking your idea from from inception to reality in a tech world, because I know a lot of people have tech ideas, how did you get to this point? How did you get here? Yeah, so no, it's an interesting question. So when I was when I was young, I realized I'm unemployable. So I just didn't even try. I, I knew that was not gonna work for me. So I just immersed myself in entrepreneurship. And over the past 17 years, um, I've had a pretty good run. And I've also had some beautiful, <coughs> excuse me, learning experiences as well. I'm what you call a non-technical tech founder. So what that means is there's not an engineering bone in my entire body. I know how to write marketing copy and I know how to sell. 11 years ago, I launched a company called Synduit. And the vision for Synduit was to build the simplest marketing software in the world, pre-populate it with content across every major industry, SaaS it up, which means turn it into a SaaS solution, software as a service, and then sell it to small business owners. And in my mind, Ian, this was like pure genius, like the first done for you marketing software ever. I just didn't know where to start. I'm a non-technical tech founder, right? So I had the money to do it. I had a previous exit. I just didn't, I felt almost like irresponsible to throw cash at like such an elusive concept. So I figured, let me start by selling my skill set, which is I can write direct response marketing content. So I got hired by these two thought leaders that did a performance deal with me where I would earn 30% of any new business that I produced for them. And I made them a million dollars a month for six months. So economically I did well, they did well, we were all happy, but more than the money, they literally told everyone they knew about me. And within 14 months, those two clients turned into almost 400 clients. And I was running a large digital agency for thought leaders. And it was really fun. I mean, we kind of have like the who's who of, of every industry, um, big team, big office. But for me, just a means to an end, I really want to launch this tech platform. And at the end of 2011, I had clarity of what that platform would do. So I started interviewing different software development firms all throughout the US. I actually spoke to 12 of them. And I hired one in Boston, Massachusetts that had a really good track record. And they said to me, it's gonna take 10 months and $750,000 to build the first version. And I just went all in. I was 26 years old at the time, writing a check for 50 to 100 grand a month. And at the end of 10 months, it was D-Day, which is, which is demo day. And I told my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, Lindsay, I said, our life changes today. Like I'm becoming a tech founder today. And I get in my car, I'm living in North New Jersey at the time. I drive to Boston, I get to their office, they bring me to this beautiful conference room. 
and they say, Jared, we have some really good news for you. And I heard them say the word some, and I'm like, oh no. So I'm like, listen, show me what you got. Show me, show me that some. So they started this, this demo on, on the screen, and it was amazing. Like my, I got like the goosebumps when I was watching. It was so much better than I thought for two minutes and 11 seconds. And then they shut it off. And I'm like, guys, what are you doing? Like, it's amazing. Like, you're just getting going. They're like, well, that's actually the some good news. Um, we miscalculated what it was going to take to finish this. We need another year and a half and $1.5 million. And in that moment, Ian, I became a statistic. Because that's just what happens to the non-tech tech founder. It might be an extreme version, but it's just so unfortunately common. And I'm sitting in their office, and I realized I have the right to be viciously angry or morbidly depressed. And for some reason, I feel grateful. Like for some reason, I'm like, this is happening for me, not to me. It's a chapter in my story called Jared's Entrepreneurial Journey. In addition, I made a declaration. And my declaration was that in my life, I am committed to making sure that the technology industry becomes safe. Because I know so many people that had similar versions of that and it went very dark for them. And I'm like, I have to fix this thing. In addition, I met somebody. So at the time, we had 35 engineers in our team through that firm in Boston, but I had one direct hire, and his name is Mani. And before Mani worked with me, he was living in India. And when he was in India, he started his own software development firm out of his parents' extremely small apartment. And three years later, he had 100 employees. So outside of being a strong engineer, he's a really good manager, mentor, and businessman. He sold that company at the end of 2011 to move to the U.S. in 2012 with his wife to start a family. And when he moved to the U.S., he was living on the end of my street where my original office was in Englewood, New Jersey. So he could have been literally anywhere but there, and we would be having a very different conversation right now. Um, but his, his, his home and my office was like a tenth of a mile apart. We met at a coffee shop one day, casually. I said, I'm hiring you, let's do this. He became my CTO in 2014. We ended up building our own software development team because I fired that vendor. They just, they just couldn't, they literally couldn't do it. And we started hiring in the US, in Canada, and a dozen people in India as well. The India team was very strong. If you're in tech and you can figure out India, you're in great shape. The reason I figured it out is because of Mani. He hired his friends and his family, so it was, it was wonderful. Um, we ended up setting up a company in India in 2017 just so that I could employ our contractors so they had country benefits and just a better quality of life. That was my catalyst for Sinduit. So today, Sinduit is over 40,000 active paying users on the platform across 30 industries. It's a great business. Um, but you asked me where did all this begin? It began there, but then where it really started, like where this journey started, is in April of 2020. I woke up one day and I realized I'm officially obsolete at Sinduit, which should be every entrepreneur's dream. So you're watching this right now, you're listening to this right now, like your mission should be to become obsolete. So I was happy. And I'm like, what is my next move? I'm 35 years old at the time. I have two young kids, happily married. We got a great life. I'm like, what's next? And all that I could think about was the commitment I made years earlier when I said, I'm gonna make the technology industry safe. So I declared something. The next chapter for me is my moonshot. I'm gonna do something that shakes up the world or I'm gonna go down trying. As I started digging into that, I realized I feel called to do what I just did with Sinduit, but 10,000 more times by 2031. And I don't know why that's the number because it's, it's like a ridiculous number. But the one thing I know is you can never negotiate against the moonshot. You just got to accept it. So I called up Monty, who's still my CTO, Sinduit, and this woman, Katie, who's my director of operations. And I said, I have an idea. 
I can't imagine doing it without you, but I'm gonna do it whether you wanna do it or not. Let's build, scale, and sell 10,000 tech companies over the next 10 years. Are you in? And their exact words were, we're in because it's you, but we have no idea what you're talking about. So I could pause there if you want questions and then I could go into like how we actualized that statement. Well, well, tell me, I want, I'm gonna go back. It's 40,000 users in Synduit. What was the key to that growth? Yeah, so the key to that growth is I don't like Mark Zuckerberg. And that sounds like a really odd response, but let me explain. So I don't like Mark Zuckerberg. I'm like, I am not going to use this dude's platform, pay him to get end users. Like, I, I stand against what's happened with Facebook. So that was the key to the growth is I detest that. So I'm like, what I actually want to do is I want to build strategic alliances. I want to take people... Uh, that are influential in industries that we're entering and I want to help them accomplish their goals faster as a result of supporting my goal which is to conquer their industry and to become the marketing platform of the industry. So we built industry relationships across every industry we're in, formed really strong strategic alliances, we started private labeling our software when we found the right thought leaders of industries so they could have their own version of our platform without having to put millions and millions of dollars and in risk into it. So like overnight, they had a version of our software that was branded for them. So it's just relationship capital. I've never spent $1, see literally not $1 has been spent on an ad on Facebook to acquire a user. 100% of our users are through the relationships that we establish in every single industry. Love it. And so now, how are you going, you know, you're, you're going to do 10,000, you're going to help 10,000 businesses doing this. You've obviously had to backtrack how to grow a tech company, how to figure out what's working, how to grow it. Um, tell me about that process. Cause I, you know, I, I, that's, what's really interesting. To, I think to everyone, it's like, how do I decide if this is the right idea? And then what do I do next? So when, when Katie and Lonnie said they were in, but I don't know what you're talking about. I said to them, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna launch a tech ecosystem. Some might think this is an incubator, some might say this is an accelerator, some might call it a venture studio, but it's just not those. Uh, incubators, as an example, what they do is invest very little money into a startup, they take the entrepreneur and they put them in a classroom for six months and they teach them every single thing that they need to know once they leave the classroom. And I'm like, that's not what entrepreneurs need. Accelerators are programs that you have to pay for, and then you go through a course, and they teach you what you need to do as an entrepreneur. I'm like, that's really not what entrepreneurs need. And then venture studios, they will take their, their fees to build your minimum viable product, they'll cut them in half, so they still make some money, and they take some equity in exchange for the fact that they're discounting their fees, and then they turn over a tech product to you, and it's up to you to figure out how to grow and scale it. And I'm like, that's not what entrepreneurs need. I'm like, they need an ecosystem. So that's what we built. We have had entrepreneurs literally from around the world come through this process. And where they come to us is with a tech idea as early as a napkin, like literally a concept or a sketch written on a piece of paper, or as late as what we call a minimum viable product, which is really early, okay? So we're going after the earliest of early stage, and they pitch us. And when they pitch us, there's four major criteria that we look for. The right person or people, with the right idea, in the right market, and the right business model. And when those four criteria are present, there's a lot of nuance besides that, but those are the four major criteria, we will then co-found a company with that person. We'll both take equity in the company, so our values are just perfectly aligned, and then we build the entire company 
at cost. Software development, go-to-market, customer support, sales, business development, copywriting, graphic design, digital marketing, <clears throat> like literally everything, investor relations, bookkeeping, everything. And about 97% of the initial cost for the minimum viable product is at cost in India in a company that I've owned since 2017. So the risk is low and the cost is low. So in June of 2020, we launched. We launched Project 10K, which will build, scale, and sell 10,000 tech companies over the next 10 years. In the first two weeks, I onboarded seven companies that we co-founded with people that I knew wanted to do a deal with me. So those kind of, it was like, we were like seven for seven because I knew they were the right person with the right idea and the right market and the right business model. My, mom, my CTO, Monty, came to me and said, Jared, you got to slow down. I'm like, no, dude, you got to speed up. We got 9,993 to go. We got to figure this out. He goes, no, no, I'm serious. You need to give me a minute. Like, we got to build a human infrastructure for this. So we did. We kind of paused actually until January of 2021. We just got those seven companies in motion, built out our team in India and in the U.S. and Canada, other countries as well. And then we put on, we pushed on the gas. So since then, we've had uh, almost 16,000 entrepreneurs come through the process. We've co-founded, like you said before, 140 companies pretty much in our first year, which is more remarkable than 10,000 in 10 years. And we figured it out. Like we figured out the exact team structure, how to scale team, what are the processes, which I'll speak into in a moment. What I'm most proud of is this, Ian. We are not playing law of averages. It probably sounds like we are, but we're not. It's not like if we launch enough companies, we get a couple of winners. So we do well, and if you happen to be one of those companies, you do well, but most are gonna lose. I stand against the way that the venture capital industry operates. Like I stand against this premise of nine out of 10 things will fail. So when we say yes to a person and their idea, it's because we see a path to build it, to scale it, and to sell it. And the reason I'm so certain is because of our team. We really have, now we have hundreds of people, but an extraordinary team. Our ecosystem, which is our co-founders, the investors within the companies, the strategic alliances we've established, and the attention we have. We have an enormous amount of attention from athletes and celebrities, politicians, family offices, legends in the tech industry. And the reason we have their attention, it's a great lesson for all of you, is because I declared my moonshot, I took what I call maniac action, which means you take so much action so quickly that people are like, they're crazy, but they're definitely onto something as well. And then I talk about what I'm doing incessantly. Like I know you, you speak into the importance of telling your story. I'm telling my story in real time as it's going. So people feel like they're like part of it, they wanna help and support it. And it's also the fact that we have process. And I learned early on as an entrepreneur, never work with anyone that doesn't have a process. So we just have process. So the day that somebody submits their tech idea, we have a linear path they're gonna follow to the point of co-foundership if they make it to that point. And then from co-foundership to fundraising, and then from fundraising to closing the fundraising, to then spinning up the team, building the product, launching the product, supporting the product, and then going for an exit when the time is right for that company. Love it. And so you talked about the process. How long does this take? How long do you see it taking from uh, from its minimum viable product to actually getting it and making money to selling it? What, what, do you have a timeline or did you, where, yeah, where do you decide? Very strict timeline. Very strict timeline. So let's assume we say yes, right? You come to me with this idea to build a CRM for dog walkers, right? You've already gone through due diligence. I'm like, dog walkers need a CRM. Let's do that thing. So we, 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 we co-found this company together. From the point of co-found, it's usually about a 30-day process where you work with our chief product officer 
and you go through a process called idea to MVP. This is the most important step in the entire process because when you came to us, Ian, with this CRM for dog walkers, you wanted this thing to do everything for dog walkers. Like it was a huge, ambitious vision and we'll never suppress the vision. We just need to find the starting point because if we have to build the entire vision to launch, we're not gonna make it. Like we'll run out of money, we'll run out of energy. Like we gotta figure out what are the necessities and what are the things that we must start with. And our goal is that it's anywhere from three to six months of development. So our chief product officer is a master of the prioritization around functionality. It takes about 30 days, it's back and forth, it's a lot of meetings to get to that point, so we're, we're really clear. Once we're clear, we then bring in the go-to-market team so they can understand what the product's gonna do to develop a launch plan. We bring in our account management team so they can start working with the bookkeeping side to figure out the economics, the software development team to figure out what team is actually gonna be in place to build out this company, and then we start the fundraising process. We work directly with the companies to put together their pitch decks, financial performers, investor circulars, investor documents we can file with the SEC, and then we start the fundraising process, which is awesome. It's a two-step process. We're adding a third step as we speak. And the third step will actually replace the second step once it's in full motion. But step number one is we have every company plan their exit party. We say, okay, Ian, you're going to sell your, your CRM for dog walkers for $1 billion. And you're going to throw the biggest party of your life. Where is it going to be? And you're like, oh, it's going to be on this island in the Bahamas. We're like, cool, what's going to happen there? Oh, we're going to have music. We're going to have entertainment. We're going to have food. I'm like, amazing. Who's going to be there with you? And you start to make your guest list for this party. And that guest list has everybody from your friends, your family, and even your enemies who you want to show off, right? It's like your chance to be like, look at me. Look what I just did. So it's a big list. Like It's like hundreds of people that you're going to want to invite to this billion-dollar bash. And then we tell you, if you're going to invite them to the exit party, you have to invite them to go on the journey to the exit party. Because the exit party will be fun no matter what, but it's way more fun if they just got a lot of cash. Like, that's a really fun party. So we do a pre-exit party, also known as a friends and family experience. It's on Zoom. It's with the co-founder and myself. I do every one of these. My role is to edify the co-founder so that their friends and family understand what they went through to get to that point. Because we don't just say yes to everyone. We only say yes if we see a path to build, scale, and sell. So I explain what we saw and why we said yes. I'd also ed educate the friends and family that are on this experience, which is usually 50 to a few hundred people, on how to invest in early stage tech because most of them don't know what to look for. They've never done this before. And I've been doing this for over, over 10 years. So I explain this is how to invest in early stage tech. We turn it over to our idea co-founder. They declare their vision. They walk through the features, the use of capital, and then I'm there to pitch and catch. That experience will typically fund between 50 at 150% of the ask. Because we don't need that much money. We control these costs. So they're extremely effective. Whatever it doesn't fund, we after the first week of, of fundraising, we then go to our angel networks. Um, we've built a database of about 4,000 accredited investors. It's kind of like a newsletter list. that are looking for deals like this. So we send the deal out, and then they can schedule meetings. And then we have a network of dozens of angel investor networks. And we know exactly what they're looking for. So we end up placing the entrepreneur into the right networks and the deal gets, gets funded. Usually the funding will take about 30 to 45 days in full just from filling out documents and things like that. We are in the process of setting up our own fund 
Once that's done, which will be soon, we just won't do the second step anymore. We'll still do the exit party, but we'll do that step as the next step. Um, and then once it's funded, we're off, like immediately we deploy the team. The first month we build out the entire UI UX and the brand. That's a really fun month because now your napkin is coming to life. It's like a prototype, it's really cool. And then we start the software development side, which is anywhere from three to six months, depending on the complexity of what we're building. Our goal is always on the shorter side so we can then launch. And the second software development begins, we find a way to start making money. So we do a lot of like pre-sale activities to see what can we do? Like what's the right, what's the right messaging? Like can we do our first hundred thousand dollars in sales even before the company goes live? Like we do all these like crazy things, mainly just to kind of test the messaging around what we're actually launching. So by the time we launch, we already have have energy, and then we always are cash flow positive in the first month. Like we, we just make sure of it. Like we do everything to ensure that happens because that happening gets a lot of attention from investors that might want to invest at a, at a later round at that point. Love that, love that. I mean, yeah, because there's so many businesses out there that get funding and they're not cash flow positive three years later. <laughs> it's all of them. Yeah, like literally all of them. Like it, it's actually like it's 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 extremely disturbing because it's 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 what gives early stage tech. A bit of reputation because like like there's companies that are like 10 years later they're still not cash flow positive and part of it is just how they run their business so the reason why we can accomplish that is we control costs so we can keep costs at a really low level and as a result we're cash flow positive and that's that's not like a fake thing like we don't need a lot of cost to operate these companies because we own the territory, like we own our software development. Like everybody's an employee in our company, there are no contractors. We just offset the cost for every person that's working on the individual entity through that entity. And as a result, we keep costs really low. Love it. And so when you see this, you know, you've, you've uncovered a lot of the problems, like the funding, taking the minimum vial product, where does the next hiccup happen? for most people that you're helping out because we're, you know, it's like, okay, I've got, I've got this idea. You've helped me. We've got the minimum viable product. Now we're cash flow positive. How do we keep it growing? You know, cause I've never done this before. So the next hiccup is this concept, which I did not make up. It's called the Peter principle. And the Peter principle states that a business will grow to the capacity of its leadership. And that's the next hiccup. And not, not for our companies, for any company is, yep. Is the the co idea co-founder because like our capacity as the co-founder is, is limitless because we can attract such strong talent. But the idea co-founder's responsibility is to be the voice and the face of the company. So there's a certain capacity to that skill for that person. And either they're going to find ways to increase that capacity, or we're going to have to find a way to plug somebody else in to increase that capacity. And they have to be self-aware enough. So the hiccup comes from a lack of self-awareness. There's eight criteria that we look for in every founder, and they are non-negotiable. So like, it could be the greatest idea in the world, but if you have seven of the eight criteria, we can't work with you, or we have to find somebody else that represents the eighth, so that together you have all eight. Because if they're not present, it just won't work. And the way we learn that is by having a few founders that just are not optimal, that have come through the process, and we're like, okay, that's why that's not working, is you don't have that characteristic, now you're self-aware as we're telling you this is the issue. Let's plug that gap. But the only hiccup will come from Peter Principle. And the way to resolve Peter Principle is to be self-aware or we plug in more talent or we sell the company. Because there's always more capacity for growth. Like that, 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 that anyone that thinks otherwise, that's your Peter Principle. Like you've just plateaued with what you think is possible. So we have to ensure that every company reaches optimal. 
And the way you reach optimal is to improve your skill set. So that gives you more Peter principle, like more capacity. It's to bring in new talent that has skill sets that you don't have, or it's to sell the company. Maintaining, you might still retain equity in it, and usually you would, so that you can go on the journey to that next level, but it's not so predicated on the initial idea co-founder and, and, and their role as the voice in the face of the company. Nice, nice. And so what, you know, you mentioned the eight criteria of a great founder. What are those? Yeah, so this, is, this has been like a really cool exercise because the way we uncovered this was we had a couple of peaceful divorces, and they were, they were mutually peaceful, but it was us just not really knowing because we have this whole premise, which is commit and then figure out the details as you go. You just have to be one detail ahead at all times. So if I had to figure out every detail to build, scale, and sell 10,000 tech companies in 10 years, I never would have gotten started because there's just too many details. So I just committed, and we're literally building the plane as we're flying it. So the first criteria, and these are like non-negotiable, they have to be present, is that the idea co-founder must be an expert on the problem that they're solving, like, like a real expert, like an authority on the problem that they're solving. Um, and that matters especially if we're building industry technology. So one of our products is a platform called ClaimGuru, launches very soon. Um, and ClaimGuru is a software solution for the public adjusting industry, which I didn't even know what that was until I moved to Florida because it just wasn't relevant where I used to live. But it's a big industry. He's been yeah. in the industry, our co-founder, Josh, has been in the industry for, for over 10 years. He knows the industry. He knows the inefficiencies of the industry. He's an expert on the problem we're solving. And we have to have the expert because we're in a lot of industries doing a lot of different things. We can't be the expert on day zero. We will increase our knowledge, but we need an authority from day zero. The second is they must have influence. So what influence means to me is not a fake Instagram following. Influence means to me is relationship capital. So you have people that you can call that are gonna to wanna to help you either as an investor, as a connector, or as an end user. Like you can make a phone call to build velocity. The third thing is you have to have some sense of business acumen. This is a really critical one because some of the early founders did not. So we find ourselves building companies with them and like coaching them on business at the same time. It was just like too much effort. We need somebody that has like some sense of business intuition. The fourth, with regards to um, like the absolute like necessity, is they need to have like some level of like certainty and clarity around their business model. Like like and and, and more clarity. Like wh how will this thing make money? And we'll figure that out as we go. Like we get like really deep into it and stuff. But like, what is the actual financial model that is attached to this business? Uh, the next is they have to have some level of skin in the game. So this is critical, not so much for us, but when we go out and fundraise, let's say we're gonna raise $250,000 from an angel investor network, they understand the risk that we're taking because like we have like, like tons of companies, right? So like we, that risk is clear, like we are the infrastructure. They know their risk, which is they're putting in the money. They're like, what risk does the idea co-founder have? Like what risk do they experience? And, uh, and they're, when they're coming with a napkin, there's not a lot of risk. So somehow it's critical that we see that they're just all in, like they have skin in the game. Uh, the next is they have to be emotionally stable. So being an entrepreneur is like a roller coaster ride, right? Being a tech founder is like going to the scariest roller coaster in your entire amusement park and then not wearing your seatbelt. It's like crazy. Now with us, there's, the dips aren't as extreme because like we know a lot, right? So like we have like a compass that can kind of direct us. 
We need emotional stability. Like when the highs are there, it still stays stable. When the lows are there, it still stays stable. So we're looking for somebody with emotional uh, stability. Um, from there, we need somebody that has like true clarity of the solution like that they want to build. Doesn't mean they have to know every single feature, but they are, they're clear on the solution. Like this is the problem, this is the solution. We'll figure out the features to support that solution. The next one is they have confidence. So confidence is key because we put our co-founders in environments like podcasts and stages. I shared earlier that uh, one of our co-founders actually had a chance to sell on the GrowthCon stage, which is Grant Cardone's big event, 6,000 people in the audience, 30,000 online. Before he spoke was Donald Trump. After he spoke was eight billionaires. He stood on stage and freaking did it. Like he had the confidence and the certainty. It's really important. Not on day zero, that's an extreme stage, but you have to have confidence and certainty. And then finally, the need to sell. We need people that will become the voice and the face of the company. And if they can't sell the vision, we have to find someone that can. Because we are the behind the scenes team. We need somebody on the center stage. That's our co-founder. Wow. So, I mean, those all make sense though. They make a lot of sense. Yeah. I, it makes a lot of sense, and it's it's funny because how many co-founders have you seen with about half of that, just because they had a good idea or were technologically capable? That's amazing. So, Jared, tell me about how do how do I get in touch with you? How do we get started if I, if I have an idea? So, I would invite actually everybody right now to take a moment and realize that that you're meant to become a tech founder. And I say this all the time because I have this thesis, which is it's never too early and never too late to become a tech founder. I am completely non-technical. Like I don't use apps, I don't, I don't do anything. I'm, I'm a salesperson, that's what I know how to do. So I'm a simple dude that knows how to sell and I'm a tech founder at this point times 141 because what I am good at doing is identifying problems and then helping find solutions. And that's what we've been able to do now with co-founders and obviously with my first company. So the first and foremost is take yourself seriously enough to become a tech founder and start looking around your personal life and professional life and the industry you're in and the country you're in and saying, what inefficiency exists and what would I do to solve that inefficiency? Once you do that, head over to Project 10K, project10k.com, number 10, and uh, just fill out the form. It's completely free. Go through the process. If we see potential in your application, we're going to invite you to pitch us on our show. We have a show called What's on Your Napkin. It's like Shark Tank. It's just cooler because Shark Tank's great. But for the most part, the, the entrepreneurs that are pitching on Shark Tank, their ideas are not going to change the world. Like they're, they're good ideas. They're just not world-changing ideas. Like, like Scrub Daddy is a sponge. Like I don't think it changed the world. Like The guy made $100 million. I love it. And I'm not poo-pooing it, but it didn't change the world. The stuff that we hear on our show, like it's world-changing technology. Like we had a woman pitch us a few weeks ago that lives in a mud hut in Africa. A brilliant idea, like brilliant. Like it's just amazing. And who's going to find this woman? Like, but because of how we created this process and we're democratizing technology, so we'll invite you on the show if we see potential in your application. Go to go to project10k.com. Fill out the application. You're meant to become a tech founder. I'd love to partner with you. Love it. Love it. Well, that's awesome, Jared. Thank you so much. We'll make sure to get people to connect with you. And what's the best place to follow you? Where Where are you putting out your best information? Uh, on Instagram, it's Jared Yellen. We, we post a ton of content. So uh, go check it out. Uh, we post videos, quotes. One thing I tell every entrepreneur is 
until Aristotle quotes you, stop quoting Aristotle. And what I mean by that is quote <laughs> yourself. Like, quote yourself. Because Aristotle is not going to quote you. So don't quote me. Don't quote Grant Cardone. Like, quote yourself. Come up with your own quotes. Like, everybody is quotable. Give yourself a chance to write. So go check it out. I hope it inspires you to write your own quotes. Don't quote me, but quote yourself. <laughs> well, I'll be quoting you uh, because you haven't been on the show. So we want to quote and promote. But I really appreciate you being on the Garlic Marketing Show, sharing how to grow a tech business. This has been fantastic. Awesome. My, my honor. Love what you're doing, man. And excited to collaborate with you. We'll make you a tech founder, too. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. And thank you all for taking Jared and I on your journey. This has been Iron Garlic and the Garlic Marketing Show. Video. You know it will make you an authority. You know it will get you more leads. Better leads that close faster and spend more with you. And video stories will help you be remembered and connect with those perfect clients. The problem is, where do you start? Storycruise.com is the place to go. It's like a film crew with an S. What's your strategy? Do you do it yourself? Do you hire a videographer? An agency? Do you need an editor? How do you know if they really know your business and how to make videos for business that work? The answer to all of this and more can be found at storycruise.com. It is the place to find the latest video marketing strategies, the best gear for your business, as well as videographers, editors, and agencies near you that are trained in video storytelling for business. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get special insider info for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show including special access to several of my courses, including my case story course. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get a whole bunch of special offers just for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show. Whether you're looking for a videographer or to do it yourself, go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get started today. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. 